Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite and encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We find more golden nuggets of truth in this chapter as we continue to make our way through it. And as the Apostle Paul continues to provide helpful counsel and instruction uh, and doctrine to the church in Corinth, it is also a great blessing for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, our focus text this morning will be verses 20 through 28. 20 through 28. Join me again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we once again come before you seeking your illumination, the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds, that the reading and preaching of your word would sit deeply within us, that it would change us, that our eyes would be open to see, that our ears would be open to hear. And that we would be changed this very day by your Spirit's work in and through the Word in our hearts. O Lord, do these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 20. Hear now the holy Word of God, which is written for you and for me today. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits. Of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him, who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and its flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Praise the Lord. Well, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of Jesus really happened. We've been considering this this last couple of weeks in particular, haven't we? The Apostle Paul has shown us proof after proof that what we believe by faith isn't in vain. God gives us clear evidence in the scriptures. He also gives us clear evidence in the plethora of eyewitness testimonies from those Christ appeared to after he rose. And so the risen Christ isn't only faith's reality, but he is also our hope. 
For Paul taught us the inseparable connection between the bodily resurrection of Christ and the coming bodily resurrection of the dead. As Christ was preached to have been raised from the dead, the Corinthians needed to get rid of any of their dualistic thinking from the world that taught that the spirit is good and the body is evil. And therefore, they thought that such a resurrection, and at such a resurrection, the the bodies that would be raised would be dishonorable. But rather, they needed to embrace the reality that in the resurrection of the dead, it wasn't true that dishonorable bodies would be raised. For indeed, as Paul will tell us in the coming verses, our bodies will be raised incorruptible. They needed to grasp the fact that if their resurrection wasn't true, neither was Christ's. And if Christ's resurrection didn't really happen, then they and we would have a huge problem. Namely, the apostles' preaching would have been false. They would have been found to be liars, to be false witnesses, and our faith would be empty. The terrible consequence and reality of that would be that we would still be in our sins, justly guilty and condemned. Plus, those who have died in Christ would truly have perished. Our hope would be dashed if Jesus isn't risen. We'd truly be hopeless and rightly pitied for all the hope that we would have only in this life It would be in a dead man, and dead men can't save and have no victory. And so with clear eyes and understanding, the Corinthians needed to be confident in the truth of the resurrection of the dead and praise God for the sure hope that they had in Jesus as their risen Savior and victor. For as Paul goes on to say in our text this morning, the risen Christ is the firstfruits, and the king. And so let's look at the details that Paul provides about this truth under three headings. The risen Christ, the first fruits, in verses 20 through 23. When the Son delivers the kingdom, in verses 24 through 26. And the completion of redemption, in verses 27 and 28. So notice that Paul begins with the most comforting and hope-filled words. He has just portrayed and and put a contrast of of the terrible reality that would be true if Christ had not risen. But here he says, most wonderfully, look at his words. He says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And notice that this isn't future tense. That Christ will rise. No, it's present tense. Christ is risen. Peter speaks of our hope in Christ's resurrection in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, when he says this: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See the hope and see the reason in the resurrection. To an inheritance, incorruptible, Peter says, and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, 
who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. See here Peter's wonderful encapsulating truth of this marvelous picture of Christ and his resurrection and all that that means. And you see the similarities here of where Paul is going with the Corinthians in not only talking about the resurrection of Christ and that being inseparable with the resurrection of the dead, but then that which is to come. Because Jesus is risen, Notice that Paul then gives another way that believers should look at and understand the inseparable connection between his resurrection and ours. Look at verse 20b in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, not only is Christ risen from the dead, but he has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, this first fruits language would have been clearly understood by the Corinthians, and why? At harvest time, the Israelites were required to bring their first fruits, or the first part of their crop, as an offering to the Lord. God told Moses in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 10, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. Beloved, this offering was really a token of the whole harvest. And so, in saying that Christ became the first fruits in his resurrection, Paul is raising the same anticipation for our resurrection. Paul testified before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verses 22 through 23, saying this, Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first, notice, to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Beloved, see that. Christ was the first to rise. It's important language. Again, his resurrection guarantees and gives certainty to our resurrection. And see how Paul then goes on to make a theological connection in 1 Corinthians 15 between the first Adam and the second Adam as federal heads in the context of the resurrection. In verses 21 and 22, he says this, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, to better understand the the richness of this truth here, let's look at Paul's words to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 5, as he really gives a lot of meat regarding the first Adam and the second Adam that are helpful here. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. There we read, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, 
and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, notice the similar language here, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came by one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, one man's righteous act, through, the one, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So, beloved, see this in Romans 5. And how Paul builds on this truth of Romans 5 in 1 Corinthians 15. Through the first Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin. Through Christ, there is grace and new life. Through the first Adam, there is condemnation. Through Christ, there is justification. And then in 1 Corinthians, by the first Adam came death, but by the second Adam came the resurrection of the dead. In Adam all die, but by virtue of our faith we are united with Christ in righteousness and the life to come. Praise the Lord. And further, Christ has ordained the proper order of the resurrection, notice Paul speaks to in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 15, when he said, but each, but each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Remember how the Thessalonians had questions and concerns that Paul addressed regarding the order of the resurrection of those who were alive at the time of Christ's return and, and those who were asleep in Jesus. What was anyone going to get preferential treatment over another? They, they wondered. How would the resurrection happen in the details? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15, Paul explained and comforted them with this. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Confusion, question, concerns, and comfort. The truth proclaimed about the details of the resurrection when Christ returns. And so the order rightly is Christ the first fruits and believers to follow when he returns, Paul says. But see how then Paul puts a bridle here on our impatience by saying that the time isn't yet right for our resurrection until Christ returns. The dead will not be raised prior to Christ's return, but they will be raised when he returns. And after Jesus returns, what then will he do? Then the end will come. Then we will have reached the peaceful haven and and we will see the actions of the king in regards to his kingdom. And notice in verse 24, Paul then speaks to this. As he says, then the end comes. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. My friends, it's true that when it comes, and when it comes to talking about the end, many people are fascinated, many people are curious about what the end of the world will be like. There's a lot of curiosity, there's a lot of date predictions, there's a lot of speculation But at the same time, many are are disturbed because they don't know how it's going to end and what will happen for sure at that time. Here in our passage, God tells us more about the end and know that there is an end. That's part of Paul's message here. There is an end. He is the one who brings it about. Christ's return and the resurrection is a culminating event in Christ's sovereign rule over history. And so what does Paul teach us will be true at the end? Well, he points out two things. Jesus, first, will deliver the kingdom to God the Father, and he will put an end to all rule and all authority and power. Remember that Christ had been given a kingdom by his Father. God the Father gave Christ the charge to administer and to reign over this kingdom. Just before the Last Supper in John chapter 13, verse 3, we're told that Jesus knew the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. The Father gave the kingdom to his Son. He gave it into his hands. And what did Jesus tell his disciples in Matthew 28, 18, in the Great Commission? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Beloved, Christ has authority to rule and reign over his kingdom. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Therefore God also has highly exalted him 
and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beloved, Jesus Christ is Lord over his kingdom. And we are his children and his subjects. He governs the universe. He governs all the nations of the world for the good of his church. He administers the kingdom with you in mind, beloved. Never forget that. He administers the kingdom with you in mind. Jesus can and he does care for you and he provides for your every need. He goes before you and he answers your prayers. The silver and the gold are all his. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all his. You know, it's a wonderful thing to live in a world that is governed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in charge. And he is doing all things well. You know, sometimes it may be difficult to see this as we look around us. For the world is full of sin and sinners. The world is full of corruption. Satan is busy trying to make a mess of things, trying to destroy Christ's kingdom, though he cannot. But there is a conquest going on. There is a conquest going on by King Jesus as he rules and reigns over his kingdom. Jesus is putting an end, Paul says, to all rule and all authority and all power. Enemies challenge and are against Christ's kingdom. The wicked shake their fists at Christ's rule. He will not be ruler over us, they would say. And do say, civil rulers today force Christians more and more to the margins. They want to silence us. They want to silence us even by taking our lives. Their authority and power and rule challenge the sovereign reign of Christ, but Christ reigns supreme and is sovereign over it all nonetheless. Praise the Lord. He is reigning and subduing his and our enemies under his feet, beloved. One day, in the end, Christ will deliver his kingdom to the Father and all will see how glorious it truly is. The authority and rule and power of men will be made of no effect in his return. So some of you may be asking yourself, well, wait, well, may, wait a minute, Pastor. Uh, scripture teaches us that he is the everlasting king who will sit on the throne forever. Why does he deliver the kingdom to his father in some sense? Is he relinquishing his kingship at that point? No. At the second coming, his administration of the kingdom And Christ's reign with all authority in heaven and on earth will come to an end in its present form. And he'll give give it back to God because it is God's. 
The Father entrusted the kingdom to His beloved Son, and the Son, having accomplished everything, will give it back to the Father. And yet the risen, reigning, and conquering Christ remains the King of glory in glory, reigning in heaven for all eternity. And what is the King doing now until the end? Paul speaks to that in verses 25 and 26. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Beloved, never think that Christ's subduing of his enemies is a difficult or daunting task for him, as if there's some uncertainty about it, even if we would raise that question in our mind because we look around at everything going on around us and maybe a seed of doubt is put in our heads, in our minds. Really? I mean, if Christ can just say it with a word, if he can just do it with a thought... Why doesn't he? This is all according to his sovereign will. This is all according to his sovereign will that he would receive the glory. Christ does all things well. Paul says a a characteristic of the end isn't if, but when he does this. He will and he must rule and reign until then. And he continues to call out his people, bringing them into the kingdom. He is the supreme champion who is conquering all of his enemies. And that's important. Important word. Three letters, all. Christ will demonstrate his complete sovereignty and total victory as death is destroyed. Death is the last enemy. His work isn't done until this happened, but how wonderful it is that in Genesis, death is the first enemy in the sense of the consequences of sin, and in the end, death will be the last to be destroyed. Finality. It's completed, it's done. Death and Hades, Scripture teaches us in Revelation 20, verse 14, will be thrown into the lake of fire. Beloved, the resurrection of Christians, the reuniting of soul and body, is the reversal of death. This is evidence that death has been destroyed. Praise the Lord. In the end, redemption is completed. And to make it clear, Paul says this in verse 27. He says, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Again, let's be clear on both of those points. When all things are put under Christ's feet, Paul makes it clear that God the Father is accepted. He is outside and separate from the all things that are subjected under Christ. God the Father is not and will never be made subject under the Son. And yet in the economy of redemption, the Father sent his Son. 
And the Son willingly was sent and subjected himself to the will of the Father to accomplish the redemption of his people. And the Holy Spirit applies the benefits of Christ's work to us. Paul goes on here to speak of the time when then all things are complete. In verse 28. He says, now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Beloved, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal in substance and power and eternity. They're equal in their being. Paul isn't saying that Jesus will be inferior to the Father in being or in dignity here, but rather in his work of redemption as our mediator, as the second and the last Adam, Christ subjects himself to the will of his Father when he delivers the kingdom to his Father. The climax of his great work is the conquering of all his enemies. That God may be all in all with his sovereign reign being acknowledged everywhere. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So beloved, do you see more of the important connection here this morning? between Christ's bodily resurrection and the resurrection of the dead. Do you see the risen Christ, the first fruits, the the second Adam, who points to and guarantees your resurrection as you are in Christ? He guarantees your resurrection when he returns. I pray you do. And I pray that this is of much comfort to you in building and bolstering your hope in that which is to come even in the person and work of Christ and the eternity that you will spend with him forever. Praise the risen Lord Jesus all the more this morning as you see what your reigning and your conquering king is doing now. Be be reminded of this and and be encouraged and and, and strengthened and, and have much bravery and boldness and yet humility. And knowing who he is and what he is doing. Because the world has another narrative. The world speaks against all of this. And says that he isn't who he claims to be. And he's not doing what he claims to be doing. Your hope is useless. It's worthless, they would say. And yet we stand in the spirit of Christ. And with his work in us. We stand knowing and having great confidence that the scriptures are true. That all that is revealed to us about Christ and his work is true. Even that he is ruling and reigning and conquering now. Don't let your heart be troubled in the midst of the trials and the rising persecution. Don't let your heart be troubled. In the midst, like King David knew well, of the rising of the foe against you. Jesus is your king, and he is king over all. And he does all things well. Have great peace in the midst of the chaos and the worries of today. 
that he is sovereignly and righteously. He's not doing anything wrong. He's not making mistakes. He's not missing things. But that he is righteously and perfectly administering his kingdom for his purposes and glory. And finally, have deeper confidence and insight about the end. We don't need to be fearful of the end. We don't need to be doubtful about the end. The Lord in the scriptures is not pleased to reveal every single detail and every question to be answered in our imaginations or our thoughts, but he reveals everything that we need to know in the scriptures. And here in this passage... Have these pieces and golden nuggets of knowledge and information about the end. Leave this place with certainty that it's coming. And praise God for the reality of the coming completion of our redemption when Jesus returns. When the kingdom is delivered and Christ's enemies have been put under his feet and death is destroyed. Our Savior is mighty and glorious. He is wonderful and powerful. He is doing all of these things. All of these things with you in mind, beloved. With me in mind. For his church. Praise the King. Have great trust in the King. And look forward to enjoy him forever and ever.